Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Kaching with Jane King podcast. Our mission here on this special Halloween podcast is to help you prevent your kids from becoming money monsters. So today's podcast is brought to you by Wasabi Rabbit. Wasabi Rabbit is a veteran-owned digital marketing agency that provides brand campaign and user experience transformations that accelerate business growth. To find out more, you can go to wasabirabbit.com. And welcome, as always, to Kim Mustin, a friend, Wall Street executive, mom, and passionate believer in financial literacy. Hi, Kim. Hi. You know, it's I love this show. I love what we're doing because I think it's amazing to get perspectives from other parents because there's no one way to do this, and it's kind of hard, you know, to to figure out how do you navigate financial literacy with kids particularly today in a very digitized world where they don't really get to touch it and feel it the way that we did as kids. And I, so I think that perspective is really important. And I think that's why I'm so excited about our guest today, because she really talked to a lot of people and got a lot of perspectives about being a financial grown-up. And welcome to our guest this month, Bobby Rebel, financial journalist, author, longtime friend. Uh, we go way back in the New York financial journalism world. Congratulations on this book. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jane. I am so excited to be here. I loved your first podcast. It was amazing. I even learned so much from it. So this is such a thrill. Okay, so let's start with the basics here. The book is called Financial Grown Up. Yes. And how did you come up with this idea? So first of all, I had been very passionate about teaching young people about money for quite some time. As a journalist, as you know, we see so much data across our desks. And the reality is young people simply are not being given the resources to learn about money. And it's not been a priority in our society. I mean, we all have watched the presidential debates. And did it ever come up? I don't think so. So it's not in our daily dialogue. And it needs to be because it is what drives so much in our lives. It is what will drive our children to be successful, independent, and happy adults. So what could be more important? Let's talk about it more. And let's teach it in the schools. Agreed. You know, uh, one of the things whenever I was looking at some of the excerpts from the book, you really had these, these folks that for many of them had reached some sort of rock bottom moment, whether it was emotionally or financially. 
as you know, modern day parents, we have been accused of being helicopter parents and all those types of things. Everyone wants to kind of bubble wrap their kids these days. Can you talk a little bit about how, how do we, how, you know, when you, when you were talking to some of these folks, um, if they could have gone back earlier and had a more financially literate um, grounding before they got to that moment. How, what advice can you give to us as parents today that would help us to mitigate that happening to our kids down the line or, you know, at least make them navigate through it as deftly as some of these folks did? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because some of the role models, even if they did did go to amazing schools like Jim Cramer, he went to Harvard, yet he still hit rock bottom financially. So this is not something that they're necessarily going to be taught in college. You had Sally Krawcheck emotionally rock bottom, financially rock bottom to a large degree too because of a situation that she put herself in at an age when she should have known better. So this can happen. So for one, we should always be forgiving um, and try to help our children. But when they're young, as we all have young children, I think the most important thing is to integrate it into our day-to-day thinking. So when you see those moments, when you have a teachable moment, focus on that. For example, with this book, we're raising money for donorschoose.org. And if you buy the book, we'll send you a gift card. You can get the information on my website, bobbyrebell.com. There's my plug. Um, But to put the program together, my nine-year-old and I went to the website for donorschoose.org, and we picked out the financial literacy projects that my book is hoping to fund. So he could see that these were classrooms where the teachers wanted to teach their children about money, but didn't have the financial resources to buy the supplies that they felt. So for example, one classroom wants a couple cash registers so that they can start a school store and sell things and teach their children the very basics of how a business works. Another one wants to do a stock market game and they want the financial resources to buy that stock market game so they can play it in class and learn about investing. So by having my son sit there with me, open the computer, look at these requests and understand one, that they want their children to learn about money, the students to learn about money, but two, that they don't have the money that was a huge motivator for him to understand. And he's now asking me about starting a business and how he can earn money. And he's all of nine years old. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great uh, to hear these stories. So I'm very curious, Bobby, how you got some of these people to pay attention to what you were doing, to return your email, return your call. I mean, you have Jim Cramer, you have Sally Krawcheck, you have Tony Robbins, you have the CEO of WPP. I mean, how long did that take? How did you break through and get their attention? So people ask that to me all the time, and they ask how long it took to write the book. The truth is, that only took about six months. As you may know, we've known each other forever. I'm a very tenacious person, and I was very persistent, although very polite, and people were very happy and gracious about participating in the book. That said, six months and a couple decades of creating a wonderful network of contacts in media and in business, and that's what it takes. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of giving to people when you need nothing over the years and then calling in those favors for introductions and so on and also just being cognizant of who you're speaking to always being nice to people always being aware of of you know how you present yourself and what you're asking of people and giving back is a big thing was there any so there were a lot of favors called in is what i'm kind of getting at. okay i'm making note of that (laughs) Real quick, was there anybody you wanted that would not participate? Can you even share that? I love this question because people keep asking that, and I am not going to tell you because they will be in my next book. I will get <laughs> I them. Love it. I will get them, and I also encourage <laughs> your listeners to write into us and tell us their request for who they want to see because we're already working on a 
new series of other financial grown-up books. So I want to hear who people want to hear their financial grown-up moments, and we'll try to get them for you. But anyone that did not uh, join this book that said no for now, it's just a no for now. They'll be, they'll, I'll get them. You know, Bobby, I would love to get your perspective on millennials. We, you know, hear a lot about them. And on one hand, it sounds like they might be kind of a more laissez-faire type generation. Um, Are they savers? How are they feeling about, I mean, I would kind of be a little bit ticked if I were a millennial. They have, uh, you know, I saw a study recently that they're a trillion dollars in debt from college, and the unemployment rate is north of 16% for that generation. How are they feeling about saving, and how, what can we as parents do to try to inspire savings um, habits for them in the, you know, in the face of all of these really tough headwinds to get out and be able to earn money? Well, I think you're right to acknowledge that there are very tough headwinds. And part of what inspired this book is the fact that they're starting to get out of that phase and become more financially independent. And that's why many of them are looking for this kind of advice. So that was part of the inspiration for the book. What I've observed, and I write a regular personal finance column for Reuters, is that they are, in fact, better financial grownups in many ways than our generation and the boomer generation because they've had to face it earlier. They have so much more student debt. They've had to face not only being unemployed, but being underemployed, maybe not having the job they want, maybe being part-time, maybe doing a lot of side hustling. So they're go-getters by because they had no choice. They've had to become financially savvy. They're much more interested in learning about finances. And it's interesting, a recent study from Bank of America said the leading the leading um, milestone for feeling like an adult from a financial perspective was financial adulthood. It used to be the big milestone was maybe moving out of your parents' house. Maybe it was getting married. Now it's about financial independence. So they are a generation very savvy about money, moving into financial adulthood, finally getting those jobs, getting married if that's what they want, moving into their homes. But they're really looking at the numbers. They don't just automatically buy a car. They look, should I be leasing it? Maybe it's better to lease it. Maybe I'm going to need a different car in five years, so I shouldn't buy the car. I should lease it so I can more easily trade up without having lost the trade-in value and all that. I'm pretty impressed with them. I think millennials are less materialistic than previous generations. Um, You know, I'm a Gen Xer, and... You know, I remember in college, like everybody wanted a Porsche and, you know, wanted to work on Wall Street or or whatever. And I just feel like millennials kind of lead a little bit more of a balanced life financially. On that point, I saw um, in speaking of Donors Choose that millennials donate, uh, 81% of them have donated to charity. And they, they definitely feel like a generation where they may care about money, but they also care a lot about giving back and being socially responsible and, and Maybe if you can comment on that as well. Well, they care about money as a means to freedom, which is something that I emphasize in How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, is that if you have enough money, you can have the freedom to make the choices that you want to make and not be bogged down by financial obligations. They are not, Jane, you're correct, they are not as interested in the status purse like we were or the cars. They're happy to lease a car, flip it. Cars are a way to get around. A lot of them don't even want to own a car. There's not as much interest in that kind of thing. They do want to travel. They want to have experiences. They want to be out with their friends and have social lives. Those are their priorities. And it's interesting because while they are very interested in 
earning money and they are generally very good workers. They also do it on their own terms. They want to have a personal life and they don't apologize for that the way I believe a lot of Gen Xers apologize for it, tried to hide their social life, were pretending to be maybe working more than they were. Now the whole, oh yeah, I'm a workaholic is not so cool. It's all about, it's okay to not apologize for wanting to have work-life balance and saying, hey, I'm going to ask my boss for that month off to go to whatever retreat I want to go to or go do a charity project. What's the worst they could say? No. But even if they say no, I may go anyway and I'll get a different job when I get back. There's not that loyalty to an employer the way we used to have. They they're, they have a lot of ownership of their own financial destiny and a lot of self-responsibility, maybe because as you guys have pointed out, they're not counting on having social security. They're not counting on having one employer employ them their whole lives. They believe in themselves and they believe in having diversified income streams and different skill sets and being self-sufficient. I think they will be the ultimate financial grown-ups. Interesting. Well, and I mean, they um, are changing the country, I think, in a profound way, the economy, probably more than any other generation recently. So let's get back to the book here for a second. So who, um, of all these people you talked to, who was the most surprising story that just was like, wow, which what was the wow interview? Well, there were so many. The one that has gotten the most attention was Sally Krawcheck, who's now the head of Elevest and Elevate, the women's networking group. She emailed me her story. We were emailing back and forth. And when I first saw it, I didn't believe her that she wanted this to be in print because it was so candid and raw and honest. And it was such a gift. And I thought, does she really know this is going to be in a book? It's a pretty detailed version of how she found out her husband was cheating on her and kind of coming to terms with emotionally what that would mean and financially in the end what that would mean. And for someone that at that time was already incredibly successful to have to face the reality that she had not been a financial grown-up when it came to her own life, even though she was in the financial sector and incredibly successful, as I mentioned, I think that was really a rude awakening. Well, she wow. was she was interesting because she was a Wall Street executive. I mean, she's amazing, oh, she's but um, but her husband was handling all the household finances, so she didn't really know what was going on. So that I mean, it was a really interesting story. Well, I say hats off to Sally, who's done so much oh, yeah. for women's equality and to share such a personal story and to have that be out there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns to try to help other women, you know, wake up to the fact that, you know, uh, in my house, my husband, he likes to do our finances as well, but I keep a keen eye on what is going on. And that's been one of the 
main reasons for our 23-year successful marriage is we, we <laughs> you know, trust but verify. Yes, there you <laughs> yes. Go. Well, you do. And I talk about in the book that you have to get financially naked with somebody before you get married and really understand what's going on. It's amazing how many people get married not knowing the full picture of their partner, not knowing if there's credit card debt, not knowing if there's student debt or the maybe the extent of it. In some cases, people hide big things from from their spouses oh, no, or their partners. Super emotional topic. And, I think we talked about that last time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, who you marry is also the biggest financial decision of your life. It will define your financial success to a large degree. And it doesn't mean you should marry for money, but you should marry money aware. You should make sure that you both have the same financial values because as many of us have experienced, you will have ups and downs that you cannot possibly imagine financially with careers, with decisions that you make regarding your children, whether you're going to spend money on private school, whether you're going to spend money on a camp, maybe somebody loses their job, whatever it may be. Maybe you decide to stay home with a child for a period of time. Those are big financial decisions that you will be making. And you need to make sure you have the same values. And people sometimes don't. Yeah. It can be a rude awakening. And just a, a temperament to get through all those ups and downs that oh. you are unexpected and you get through in your adult life. I mean, I lost my job. I mean, Wall Street's completely like different than oh. it was 15 years ago. You never so. know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's it's pretty nuts. Now, we um, I want to talk about this study by Chase and the University of Colorado. I, this is a reoccurring theme. Uh, the first podcast we talked about this. Uh, I, know. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Speaking but, of being financially yeah. naked. <laughs> yeah, the nice transition. Yes. Into, um, basically, what this study found was um, that forget the birds and the bees talk. Uh, now the most valuable talk is with your kids about money. Uh, 96% of Americans believe the talk about finances is important. I mean, it just fits directly into what we're talking about. Just talk about it with your kids. Don't be afraid to talk about saving and earning and difficult choices that have to be made. Um, and that's that's the kind of just that open communication I think would help a lot. I think saving is is almost like a fun topic to talk about. One of the more difficult things to talk about is why you can't buy certain things. And um, I, I think some of those types of lessons for kids um, are, are really important as they are going on that journey, because it's not just I, you can't have that ice cream because you've already had another ice cream. It's you can't have that ice cream because we have saved a certain amount of money for those types of treats. And we've already expended that for the week or whatever. And I think those types of things are really important as you start to have those types of conversations with your kids to help them understand that there's just not an unlimited supply of money and that it comes at a price. So I think one interesting thing is to try and experiment with children and give them choices. So you give them a set amount of money and say, when they, let's say they nag you and say here in New York City, mommy, mommy, why can't we take a taxi instead of the bus? Say, okay, we can take a taxi, but if we spend $10 on a taxi, that's $10 less that you have from your savings account to get that toy that you really want. What do you want to do? And nine times out of 10, you're going to get the kids saying, yeah, maybe we'll take the bus. And I think that kind of reality in a day-to-day setting can be very valuable for kids. Now, um, okay, so we always try to leave some takeaways um, for people to to have. So, and we were very fortunate on our first podcast, we actually got some comments from listeners. Keep them coming. We love it. And um, one um, 
listener wrote, Marcus, uh, that he has a game that he plays with his kids to teach them about money. And it's kind of like a food game. This is how it was described with the money principle. So it works like this. All the opportunities for kids to consume food. There's birthday parties. There's holidays. There's, you know, pizzas, everything. So if their child saves dessert, she earns interest. If she goes over and eats too many desserts, she has to borrow from next week and is charged interest. Like a bank, the interest is higher for borrowing than for saving. Gives her a chance to learn food and economic principles at the same time. I love it. Can watch your diet and learn how interest works at the same time. I love it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's a good plan. And then another reader, Julie, recommended an app called PiggyBot. So I actually downloaded this. It's free. Um, Kids get an account, they have a PIN number, they can get an allowance sent to them directly via the app, and then they can take pictures of items they want and that they're saving for. So I downloaded this. I actually uh, tried the app on my kids, Uh, my seven-year-old daughter, Lila. So here's what she had to say after using PiggyBot. This game called PiggyBot allows you to save money, and um, it's really fun that you can take pictures, you can choose colors, and they asked me what my dream goal was, uh, how much money I wanted to do, and I wanted $1,000. And they said, um, who are you going to share them with? And I choose some of my friends. Their names are Crystal, my brother, um, Eliza, and my other friend, Lila. My name is Lila, too. So. And my son, Max, said this about the app. There's a game called PiggyBot that allows you to save money, and it teaches you about like how high you want to reach for your goals. Like you, if you want to reach for five thousand and you have like a thousand, keep on going. It doesn't really matter unless like you make money later. So later, Max. Anyway, that's their opinion of this. But they, it was colorful. It was nice. They could take pictures of themselves. They could share with their friends. And so it was kind of a cool, it was free. It was free. So it was kind of a cool way to teach kids about money. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you both about before we wrap this up is um, working moms. And wh- in your book, did you see any correlation between working mothers money lessons that kids were learned or taught their kids? So this is a little bit controversial, but I do believe that from a financial perspective, moms should never stop working. And I've gotten some pushback about that, but I do believe that if maintaining you know, for your financial freedom is important to you. It is important to consistently work. I do have some advice for moms that do take a break and come back, but I do think from a financial perspective, you should keep working. I had tremendous guilt when I kept working, even though I did go to four days a week and that was helpful. Um, I had tremendous guilt. It was relieved when one day my son went to a play group with his nanny. There were four or five other children there. I asked him about it afterwards and who was there. And he pointed out that one little girl was there with her mom. And I said, oh, that's nice. He said, no, I feel so bad for so-and-so's mom because I don't think she has a job. And that's so sad. And let me tell you, first of all, by the way, that mom does quite a bit. She's amazing. But I had tremendous guilt. And in fact, all this time, he's been so proud of me that I work. And I brought him recently to the book launch party. And the pride in his face was amazing. So we get destroyed by guilt. And of course, there are things that we don't always get to do with our children when we work. But I do think that we set a wonderful example for our children when we do work and do continue to earn money. 
and have our careers. So I am pro-career, but I do understand everybody has to do what's right for them. Right, that's true. And there are families. So we could, a very controversial subject. Maybe we should talk about the presidential election. That might be less tense. But <laughs> <laughs> Kim, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, being a working mom myself, I couldn't agree more. You have this insane balancing act between trying to please lots of different people that have you know, different needs at different times. And, uh, but I do think that it's important whether or not you work for money, which is obviously the, if you're going to work, why not make money in the process? But I think I know a, a ton of amazing moms who do work in real work in our schools as you know, sponsors of PTA programs in our communities with non-for-profit organizations. I think the important thing is for our kids to look and to see that um, it's not always the dad that goes out and makes the world a better place, puts food on our table, that mom does that as well. Because let's face it, people think that there are genies that come and do laundry at my house, that, you know, the, the clothes magically reappear in the drawer, clean and laundered and folded. You don't get a lot of credit for doing that and dishes and putting food on the, you know, like cooking food, uh, maybe later in life, but not today. And so I think it is important for your kids to see that you're more than just what happens inside the home that you actually can make the world a better place. And it's also a good tool for teaching them about money because they can understand that this is where the money comes from. And if mommy and daddy don't go to work, there is no money to do the things that you want to be doing and that it's important and to be respectful of the fact that sometimes we do have to work when they want us to be doing something with them. And we always try to be there at the most important events. But what I say to people when they say, well, don't you feel horrible about not being on this field trip or what have you? I say, someone who loves my child is always there. It may not be me. It may be my husband. It may be a grandparent. It may be a caregiver that loves them. And that's okay. Someone is there to cheer them on. I want to be there as much as I can, but there are things that you miss and it's a sacrifice that you make. But as long as someone that loves your child is there, that's what matters. So as we wrap this up, Kim, you had some funny or some good ideas for Halloween and teaching kids about money. Yeah. So I recently, I was, my daughter's birthday is very close to Halloween. So we're having a big monster bash to celebrate her birthday. It's kind of a two for one. I do Halloween and her birthday. And um, I was looking for some Halloween, like, ghosts and goblins and things like that. And I remember I saw this bank that I had as a kid and I thought it was a great idea. And it's the bank that there's a hand that comes out and kind of snatches the coin and pulls it into the coffin. And I thought that's a, you know, putting money into a bank is not all that fun for a kid. You know, it goes in, it doesn't really do anything. This was a fun way to have kids kind of put the coins on and it pulls it in. The other thing is um, recently uh, TD Bank has pulled out their money, their coin counters. Which is unfortunate. Which is very unfortunate. But um, because it's really hard to – kids – collect a lot of coins for, you know, whether it's allowance or they find them, you know, around on the street or whatever. And it's really hard to convert those coins back into dollars to put them into your bank, your savings account as a kid. And so uh, we've recently invested in a little coin counter and you can do, you can get the automatic kind or you can get the ones that are just manual. It just has the different shapes for the different size of coins. I think it's a great way to teach math concepts to your kids and also to have them understand that a hundred of those pennies equals a dollar and that all those pennies add up to be, you know, big dollar savings over time. So uh, just a couple of ideas as we head into Halloween here. 
Okay, so Bobby, uh, where can people buy your book? People can buy my book on Amazon. They can also buy it at Barnes and Noble and book retailers anywhere. Okay, and just tell us the name again and how they can find it. The book is How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, and they can buy it on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble and at retailers all across the country. Okay, a great gift for the holidays. Absolutely, <laughs> get the plug in there. Okay, thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you, and Jane. thank you, Kim, as well uh, for being. And we'll see you next month. And remember, we love your comments on iTunes, and we welcome suggestions for topics as well. So you can find us on all the socials with the hashtag KidsKaching. And thank you to our sponsor, Wasabi Rabbit. Wasabi Rabbit is a veteran-owned digital marketing agency that provides brand, campaign, and user experience transformations that accelerate business growth. You can go to wasabirabbit.com to find out more information. And join us in November. We're going to do a special co- podcast on kids, money, and the holidays. Ooh, that's Oh That's boy. a good one. We need help with that. So we'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.